0: Hello, and welcome to Story and Fiction, a podcast that provides readings of award-winning fiction short stories and novellas. I'm Bill Coles, your host. Today is podcast number 35, the novella Sister Carrie, a literary psychological thriller and a finalist in the William Faulkner William Wisdom Creative Writing Competition, read by the author William H. Coles. Two orphaned sisters, facing a future of want and loneliness, quarrel when the older sister, responsible for her dependent teenage sibling, repudiates her sister's affair with a political activist she bonds with on the Internet. Ken's sister Carrie, Jessie, forced into a role of a surrogate parent, convince her sister, Carrie, to denounce her attraction for a rogue male that Jessie believes is religiously, socially And historically unsuited for marriage with Carrie, without a destructive severance of duty, caring, and love. It's a difficult burden. So, let's get started. Chapter 1 2003 Piedmont of North Carolina. Inside the cemetery bordered by a waist-high iron fence, and crowded with modest stone markers and wooden crosses, some draped with plastic flowers, two fresh graves waited, side by side, flanked by the caskets of the mother and father of the Broward family. Carrie Broward, a tall, muscular girl with pretty facial features and short-cut straw-blonde hair, stepped forward from the sparse crowd, and Jessie Broward, her older sister, a full-figured woman with a close resemblance to her sister, but with pecan-shell brown hair, followed to lay flowers on their parents' caskets. The other Broward children, Henry and Martha, stood a few feet away, heads bowed and eyes closed. At the cemetery edge, a young Arab driver in a dark suit and tie leaned against the front of one of the two freshly washed hearses, spotless but dull from decades of wear. His eyes did not leave the sisters. A minister delivered a final prayer for the deceased. The gnarled fingers of an old woman sitting on a three-legged stool painfully searched the frets of her weary guitar for the strum chords of Just a closer walk with thee. The service concluded. The mourners drifted toward the church as the undertaker directed workers to lift the straps of the first coffin for its descent into the earth. The next morning... The four Broward children gathered to divide their parents' possessions at the modest century-old family farmhouse with a tilted for sale sign on a stick at the end of the dirt drive. "'I am not taking responsibility for a seventeen-year-old,' Henry said, pausing his brushstroke and turning from the window frame he was painting. "'Quiet! She'll hear you,' Martha said from the kitchen, throwing a cracked and chipped casserole dish into a metal trash can." with a crash of splintered glass and turning back to scrub glassware in the sink. Jessie went to the front door to look for Carrie. She's carrying out the stuff to the tool shed. Don't let her throw out any power tools, Henry said. I've only got a one bedroom apartment, Jessie said, picking up her broom and sweeping. Well she can't stay here alone. You have to move out here, Martha said. It's forty miles. Get a job closer, "'There are no jobs here. There are no people.' "'I can't afford it,' Henry said. "'Her living with us. Maria's trying to get into college.' Carrie came in the front door. Jessie stopped sweeping the fireplace hearth. "'Can I keep this?' Carrie asked. She held up a child's oak chair less than two and a half feet high with a hoop back and spindle slats. "'It's junk,' Henry said. "'It was Mother's when she was a little girl.' Carrie said. She told me. Bullshit. Leave it in the shed, Martha said. Sell it with a house. I want it for my kids, Carrie said. She set the chair defiantly near the front door and went back to the shed to finish cleaning out. That's exactly why I won't take her, Martha said. Obstinate. Disrespectful. I have no responsibility to live with that for the rest of my life. A stemmed glass splintered as she threw it in the trash. They worked in tense silence for a few minutes. You're the one, Jesse. You're closest to her. She'd at least be able to stay close to where she was born, Martha added. She doesn't have the smarts to make it in the big city. Move into a bigger apartment, for Christ's sake, Henry said to Jesse. And who will pay for that, Jesse said. The silence intensified. Well, Jesse asked. Martha went somewhere into the back of the kitchen out of view. Henry stared out the window and kept working. I'm not taking her on myself, Jesse said. I can't afford it. Sell what's left after today, Martha said, coming in from the kitchen and wiping her hands on a dish towel. There's nothing left of value, Jesse said. You've taken everything. I'll try to send an allowance, Martha said. How much? Jesse asked. I can't afford more than a few dollars a month. Jake won't give it to me. I'll have to take it out of my house budget. Then I get what's in the bank accounts, Jesse said. No way, Henry said. I'll be the executor. It's the only way I can take her on, Jesse said. Martha picked up a box full of dishes and started toward her truck. She looked at Henry. You've got more money than all of us put together, she said to Henry as she went out the front door. "'I've got family responsibilities,' Henry said. "'And a big boat,' Martha retorted. "'I make just above poverty wages,' Jesse said. "'Hourly. Nothing guaranteed.' Martha re-entered. "'Give her the money, Henry. "'It can't be much anyway.' Henry paused. "'Only part. "'And only if Carrie is living with her.' By late afternoon, cars and a van were packed, and Martha left for Michigan— and Henry for Arizona. As Jessie locked up the house, she pretended not to see that Carrie had tucked the child's chair under some blankets in the back of the car. For weeks after the funeral, from her bedroom, Jessie heard the quiet sobs from Carrie sleeping on the sofa bed in the living room. Carrie missed their parents and the farm, but she rarely spoke of them. But with time, the crying disappeared. Carrie had a job in a movie theater working behind a concession stand. She liked helping the patrons and considered her job a career to conquer. And she stayed busy. When Jesse returned from work as an assistant for an optometrist, she'd find Carrie polishing, scrubbing, and washing the apartment. For recreation, Carrie chatted on the Internet, on Jesse's computer, or watched movies or late-night reruns of I Love Lucy on TV. Jessie loved Carrie as best she could, better than she did Martha and Henry, for that matter, and convinced herself she liked having Carrie around. But she couldn't bury the burden of inherited parenthood. It wasn't personal. Jessie really didn't have room for a teenage girl or anybody in her apartment. And she felt trapped. Worst of all, there was no relief. Henry and Martha still refused to consider taking Carrie in, even on a rotating schedule, and Jessie had no support, and no money had been sent by either Henry or Martha. The reality haunted Jesse now. Carrie had dropped out of high school to work the farm, selling produce roadside and in-town markets. She would never go back to school, and college had never been considered. As Carrie settled in, Jesse's dream of a loving husband and a happy brood of children of her own faded. So Jessie prayed and thought, thought and prayed, and finally accepted her new responsibilities of mothering Carrie would never go away. Jessie determined to bring up Carrie with their parents' Christian principles and keep her
1: innocent from worldly sins. Chapter 2
2: On a Tuesday, almost four months after the funeral, Jesse
0: waited at the apartment front door to take Carrie to work at the movieplex. Carrie, who was in Jesse's cramped bedroom with the door open, typed laboriously on Jesse's computer keyboard with her index fingers. Mom's child's rocking chair, the aged, scratched and dented oak oiled and polished by Carrie, sat against the wall squeezed between the bed and the computer stand. "'Hurry! It's raining,' Jesse called. "'I can take the bus,' Carrie called back. "'I can't be late. Shut it off.' "'He wants to meet me,' Carrie exclaimed "'when the screen displayed a chat-room return. "'Who?' "'Zamel. "'Zamel? What's with Zamel?' "'He says he saw me at the funeral.' "'Jesse entered the room. "'You don't know him.' "'He's single. He lives alone. "'He fixes computers and works part-time for the funeral home. "'You can't tell crap on the Internet. "'He might be a rapist or a serial killer.' "'He's not. A terrorist, even. He loves animals. He wants a puppy. He misses his mother in Iran. "'Don't promise him anything. He wants to meet me at the mall. No. He wants to meet you, too. "'That will never happen.' Carrie typed in a reply and turned off the computer. "'You didn't say yes, did you?' Jesse said. "'I can do what I want.' Not until you're eighteen, and maybe not then. Carrie grabbed a jacket from the bed as Jessie slipped into her reindeer and opened the door.
1: You are not going to see that boy, Jessie said as they walked to the car. Chapter Three
2: Two days later, Jessie sat with Carrie at a white-painted metal table for four, at
0: the second-floor food court of the mall. In front of them, twenty feet away, the escalator emerged from the ground floor. Jessie wore jeans and a sweatshirt. Carrie had on tight slacks and a lace trimmed blouse, low-cut to show cleavage, and orange plastic hoop earrings dangled from her ears. "'I hope he's not late,' Carrie said for the second time. "'We're twenty minutes early,' Jessie said." She had no idea how to handle this infatuation that seemed to make Carrie contrary to everything she said. She picked up a picture of the guy on paper Carrie had printed from the net. I can't see his face, she said. It was fuzzy like a picture from a store surveillance camera. Carrie jumped up. There he is! Zamel rose, inching above the meshing top stair of the escalator. He was six inches shorter than Carrie, built like he was prepubescent but he wore adult clothes, a black short-sleeved shirt, Sansa belt tan slacks, and white running shoes. His black hair shined, his white teeth gleamed when he smiled in contrast to his dark skin. Carrie ran and took Samelt's hand, but he glanced at Jessie and then, gently and shyly, pulled his hand away. Jessie wasn't ready to acknowledge him yet, and she remained impassive. Still, he nodded to her as he and Carrie approached. Zamel pulled out a chair for Carrie and then stood before Jesse, who was almost at eye level with him while sitting, and stared at him relentlessly. "'It is a pleasure to meet you,' Zamel said. "'Really?' Jesse said. "'Carrie has told me all about you. You are like mother to her. I'm her sister. She lives with me. She's told me. I am so sorry to hear about your dear parents, so sudden.' Jessie shook her head in disbelief. "'You might as well sit down. "'It would be my pleasure to buy you a drink. "'I know Carrie loves Dr. Pepper with lots of ice.' Jessie paused, concerned she was not Christian enough "'to be ashamed of her impulse to order something expensive. "'A chocolate milkshake,' she said. "'My favorite also.' "'Zemel left for drinks,' Carrie beamed. "'Isn't he wonderful, so polite?' "'He's darker than I thought,' Jesse said. "'He's Persian. "'Like Persia is in Africa somewhere. "'He's not one of us.' "'Carrie turned her head away in anger. "'Break it off now,' Jesse said. "'Don't let it get complicated.' "'Be nice to him, Jesse, for me.' "'Jesse begrudgingly admired the way Zamel placed the milkshake before her, first carefully laying the brown paper napkin underneath "'and another one to the side.' "'removing the straws from their paper wrappers carefully "'to never touch them as he handed them to her, "'and then serving Carrie. "'He had a cup of water for himself. "'Thanks,' Jesse said to Samel, "'but glancing quickly at Carrie to convince her "'she wasn't satisfied in any way by Samel's performance. "'Pleased to have the opportunity,' Samel said. "'Are you legal?' Jesse asked. "'I have a student visa.' "'I take classes at Stringer Community College. "'I hope to apply for a green card,' Zamel said. "'You have family?' Jesse asked. "'Yes, in Iran.' "'You saw Carrie at the funeral?' "'I was there, yes.' "'You tracked her down?' "'Not exactly. "'I found her Internet. "'I work with computers.' "'Jesse squinted, her brow creased. "'Carrie clasped Zamel's arm.' Leave us, Jesse, Carrie pleaded. I don't think so, Jesse said. You promised. I never. Please. Carrie and Zamel had identical forlorn looks that made Jesse suspicious of predesigned agendas. Jesse sighed inwardly and stood and walked toward the Sears store entrance, looking back over her shoulder at Carrie and Zamel, now talking intently. Two hours later, Jesse led Carrie by the arm from the mall to her forward focus. Zamell waited near the doors of the mall exit, grinning. What exactly had gone on, Jesse thought? He's so cool, Carrie said. They walked to opposite sides of the car. Jesse paused before unlocking the door. That's it. No more, Carrie. He's not right for you. Carrie tensed. They got in the car. Jesse put a key in the ignition. We're going to the museum next Sunday, Gary said. In the name of God, Jessie thought. She had hoped this would be the end, not the beginning. Not Carrie falling for some Internet guy. And she cringed inwardly at Carrie's blatant disregard for her authority. Absolutely not, Jessie said. Tell him no. I can take the bus. He doesn't have a car. Jessie started the engine. It's over. I mean it. She backed out of the parking space. Carrie stared determinedly
1: out the side window, hoping to get a last glimpse of Zamel. Chapter 4 Sunday was a free day at the museum.
0: Jesse waited with Carrie outside the front door. Zamel walked briskly from the bus stop carrying a bunch of flowers, the stems wrapped in a paper towel. Daisies blue bonnets, Queen Anne's lace, a few dandelions, a white blossom, a few pussy willows. He'd probably found them in a field. He bowed to a smiling carry, then presented the flowers to Jessie. They had cooked this up together on their internet chats. Jessie's eyes moistened, but she quickly recovered with a stern look. She struggled to hide her pleasure, impossible to explain, and out of proportion to the gift of a scraggy bouquet. "'Do you like them?' Samel asked. "'They're all right,' Jessie said. "'For a beautiful lady,' Samel said. "'Monkey babble.' Jessie pulled her keys from her jacket pocket. "'Wait here,' she said, and walked to her parked car. She opened the trunk and carefully positioned the flowers. She freed a bloom in danger of being crushed by the closed lid. She locked the car and smiled reluctantly to herself. "'being sure Zemel and Carrie could not see that she was inexplicably pleased "'in a way she had not known for a long time. "'Jesse followed Carrie and Zemel through the turnstiles into the lobby. "'Zemel picked up a guide map at the information kiosk "'and traced a route with his finger to Carrie. "'As they went off, Jesse followed yards behind, always in their sight, "'up the grand staircase to the galleries. Jessie browsed alone in the main gallery, careful to position so she could see Carrie and Zemel side by side in an adjacent gallery. A Victorian reproduction of a life-size bronze statue of a nude male Greek in full extension throwing a discus caught her eye. The genitalia were worn smooth by the touches of art patrons. After a quick feel, Jessie pulled her hand back and furtively glanced to assure Carrie and Zemel were not watching, to assuage her guilt. She couldn't be sure. She quickly gazed at a Madonna and Child marble statue. When she looked again, Carrie and Zemel could not contain their smiles. Jessie blushed with humiliation. She moved along quickly, so flustered she could not concentrate on the art, and now she didn't feel confident enough to look for Carrie and Zemel, who had disappeared. She paused to calm and collect her thoughts. She had every right to touch that statue. It wasn't a sin thousands of others had. She was here to protect Carrie. Don't get distracted, she thought. And when she saw Carrie and Zamel cross a corridor a few minutes later, she headed toward them. Zamel left when he saw her coming. What's wrong with him? Jesse asked Carrie. He wants to be alone with me, and he's afraid to hurt your feelings. But Jesse wondered if he might be offended by the touch. Something in his religion, maybe. Sexist, probably. She took Carrie's arm. This isn't working. He's wonderful, Carrie pulled away. Samel entered the gallery. Please leave, Carrie said to Jesse. Never. Samel arrived. It is a wonderful painting, don't you think? He said, pointing vaguely to a wall covered with paintings. Maybe you join us later for a look at the mummy. What mummy? I think an Egyptian display in the basement. Jessie shook her head in disbelief. You're too smooth for your own good. I do not mean to offend Miss Jessie. You can't offend me. I don't listen. I just meant, please, Jessie, just for a little while, Carrie said. Where will you go? Just around here. Maybe in sculpture, Zamel said. Don't leave modern art. Jesse said, thinking specifically about the nudes in sculpture. With just paintings on the wall and only one skinny stick sculpture of a saint in gallery center, there was little to hide behind in modern art, and little to identify in the abstract imagery that might be erotic to the young. As you wish, Samel said to Jesse.
1: I'll be around, Jesse said. You just won't see me. CHAPTER FIVE An hour later,
0: Jessie sat alone at a small table for two in the museum cafeteria. Two plates of mostly eaten pastries were on a brown plastic cafeteria tray with a half-full cup of mocha coffee and an empty diet Sprite bottle. Jessie stared without focus, her lips tight with frustration. There were many people in few seats. A man grabbed the back of the other chair at her table— He was only a few years older than her twenty-five years, balding, a stubble of beard growth and a full mustache. Tinted glasses shrouded his eyes. His hands were strong with sure movements. "'Can I sit here?' he said. She shrugged without looking at him. "'There are other tables.' "'I'd like to,' he said. She saw his determination, deliberately surveying him from top to as much as she could see. He seemed scruffy but not dangerous.' Suit yourself, she said. He said, Harold Lester, he said. Harold held out his hand. She waved him off. I'm not in the mood. I know you from church, he said. I've never seen you. No, when we were in high school. I went to church on Easter and Christmas in those days. She stared for a few seconds. I don't remember you. I look different then, he said. I would hope so. Next to them, a family settled in at a table the mother had been saving. The parents yelled at the boisterous children to be quiet. Harold sipped his coffee. "'You still live on the farm?' Harold said. "'I'm from the planet Elegron, in the nebular galaxy,' Jesse said. "'An alien who likes art? I don't find many of those.' "'I am chaperoning my sister,' she said testily. "'The mean one?' "'Not Martha.' Young one. In the cafeteria? She's in modern art. She's a cube? Jessie looked away, barely hiding a smile. They avoided each other's gazes and sank into silence while the family next to them argued loudly. Harold got up. Jessie thought he would leave, and she was aware of a slight regret she couldn't explain. She'd not like being alone, and in spite of herself, she liked having him around. He returned with more coffee and a chocolate-chip cookie wrapped in cellophane that he set on her tray. Jessie placed the cookie on the table and shoved it towards him. I don't want that. She was still irritated with herself for not wanting him to go away. He was definitely not attractive, and she didn't trust what he said about school and church. But he seemed interested in her. Harold said, You're going to stay here all day? Harold asked. Look, my sister's in love with this guy who's trying to put the make on her at this very moment, and I don't plan to let anything happen. I mean anything. She's still underage. She's almost seventeen, but she's my little sister. Let nature do its thing. She met this guy online. He's foreign. He's small and dark, and he's a bozo. I've got a sister. She married a black guy, like from Africa. Two happy peas in a pod. "'That's different.' Harold had no response for a few seconds. "'Relax,' he said. "'Not much can happen in a crowded art gallery.' "'You don't know. "'They're cooking up something right now. "'I guarantee it. "'Why did you leave them alone?' "'What do you care?' "'She was sorry she left them alone now. "'It doesn't make me feel any better you're saying that.' "'The wall clock showed five to four. "'She stood and shouldered her bag.' Time to go. Harold stacked trash on a tray without standing. Leave mine, Jesse said. They pick up. Harold cleared the table. Enjoy talking to you, he said. Jesse walked off. She still didn't remember him. Probably he lied, or had been so nerdy no one remembered him. He had a used-too-many-times look that meant he didn't think enough of himself to try to be attractive and memorable. Besides... She really cared for an attractive, successful, strong-willed man who had thrilled her once or twice a week for more than a year. He was her boss, and he was married. But he wanted her, which made her like her image in the bathroom mirror and helped her not to think about adultery, which she'd come to believe could
2: not exist where true love dwelled. She looked back, but Harold Lester wasn't
1: following. CHAPTER SIX
0: In minutes, Jesse was in the modern gallery. Carrie and Zemel held hands standing in front of an unframed, all-black rectangular painting. As Jesse approached, Carrie left Zemel to face Jesse alone. Zemel stayed in easy hearing distance. Zemel wants to get married, Carrie said. Jesse gasped. You've only had one date. We talk all the time on the net. "'He knows a garage apartment next to his cousin and her husband in Butner. "'There's a bus. I could keep my job. "'Clean your place once a week.' "'Zamel closed in. "'Miss Jessie, I must express my interest in Miss Carey. "'He had this dreamy, if not a little forlorn look. "'Go away,' Jessie said. "'She fought the idea he might be sincere. "'Maybe you would like to talk woman to woman for a while,' Zamel said. She changed her mind about getting rid of Zamel. It was time to set things straight. "'Stay here,' she said to Carrie. She grabbed Zamel by the arm, overcame his resistance, and forced him to walk beside her into the next gallery, behind a sarcophagus, out of view of Carrie. Zamel tilted his head back to look at her. "'Stay away from my sister,' Jesse said. "'I will not do that. She is the object of my affections.' She is a child. She is a woman to make any man a good wife. She's never been with a man. She doesn't know. She has told me many times she is chaste. Chaste? I, too, have withheld relations. Jesse was at a loss for words for many seconds. We are leaving. Don't follow and never speak to my sister again. I cannot do that. You've got no choice. Jesse found Carrie staring at a renaissance painting of a half-nude Venus embraced by Mars, but Venus's eyes were focused to infinity, as if she were angrily dissecting a distant galaxy. "'Let's go,' Jesse said. "'No, Jesse. It's sex. He wants your sex.' Jesse dragged the defiant Carrie by the arm into another room farther away from Zamel. Carrie twisted away. Zemel approached. "'He's an alien.' "'Jesse said in a low voice to Carrie's ear. "'He's American,' Carrie replied. "'He is not American. "'You are his green card solution. "'Did you think of that?' "'Carrie looked puzzled, "'not knowing exactly what a green card was. "'Zemel approached and stepped up in front of Jesse. "'She is not my green card. "'Do you have one? "'I told you I will apply. "'There you go. "'An American wife might help.' "'Deny that. "'And what will you do? "'I go to school. "'I switch to Peabot Community College for my degree.' "'He's almost had a year of college,' Carrie said defensively. Jessie's clenched hands gripped the sides of her skirt. "'There is nothing on God's green earth "'that will ever make you acceptable to me. "'Nothing,' she said to Zamel. "'Carrie straightened up. "'Stop,' she paused. "'She took a deep breath. "'I've told him yes.' Zamel moved to close the gap between him and Carrie and took her hand. I am very happy, he said. I'm going to unplug the computer, Jesse said. I want a family, Carrie said. You're not married yet, Jesse said. Zamel's smile had not changed. We will have a wonderful family. Jesse shoved Zamel back and pulled Carrie away out of Zamel's hearing. I will never, never allow you to marry this Zamel, whatever his name is. Never. Carrie ran to Zamel, who stood now in the open arch between the galleries. She kissed him on the cheek and whispered, She's silly sometimes. Everything will be all right. I know her. She barks but never bites. Jessie reached them quickly. She grabbed Carrie's arm, dragging her toward the exit. Zamel followed at a distance. It's over, Jessie said. Jesse forced Carrie out of the gallery double doors through spaces
2: between parked cars. Zimmel watched from the museum exit, his face
1: now dark with concern. Chapter 7
2: The Reverend Luther Coffey opened the door to his office in the administrative
0: recreational wing that was just behind the Twin Steeple red brick Baptist Church. Jesse and Carrie entered. He directed them to upholstered chairs in front of his polished mahogany desk. The Reverend, at thirty-five, envied the youth of Carrie and Jesse. He wore his white clergy collar, reminiscent of a Catholic priest. He had brushed his short-cut hair upright twice before they arrived. He wore thin gold-wire, barely myopic glasses to achieve authority he did not feel with the sisters who aroused him in ways he could not suppress. Jesse, rarely I see you these days, he said. He lowered himself into his leather swivel chair as if sitting on a throne. Through his apprehension of being insignificant, he forced a smile, his lips together. Jesse made no attempt to greet him. I brought Carrie to talk to you. He looked to Carrie. Jesse told me you want to marry. Yes, sir, Carrie said. Jesse interrupted immediately. I've told her it's wrong from the beginning. Have you known him long? The Reverend asked Carrie, although he knew it had only been weeks. Jesse answered. They've only had two dates. Don't start, Carrie began. It's the truth, isn't it? Or have you been sneaking around that I don't know about? Carrie looked down, too angry to find words. Jessie shook her head. I've tried God how I've tried. The Reverend spoke up. Let her speak for herself, Jesse. Carrie leaned forward intently. Will you marry us? He already had his answer to that question. It's too early to think about that. You and your friend, are you engaged? Yes, sir. She doesn't have a ring, Jesse said. I don't need a ring, Carrie said. Do I? she asked the Reverend. A ring is a symbol of deep commitment, the Reverend said. He doesn't have the money now. Kerry said. He promised he'll have it later. "'See? He doesn't have the commitment,' Jesse said. "'That's a lie,' Kerry said. "'Rings cost money,' Jesse said. "'Where would that jerk get the money?' "'A ring doesn't have to be expensive,' Kerry said. "'There's more to it than that,' the Reverend said. "'He had roughly outlined his approach in his mind before they arrived, "'and he started on his plan. "'You could come for sessions with this boy.' There are things to be explored, decisions to be made. Then you could start planning for the future together. "'He'll never come for sessions,' Jesse said emphatically. "'You don't know what he'll do,' Carrie said. "'Is he of the faith?' the Reverend asked. Jessie's concern impressed him. She had taken over the motherly role of Carrie quickly and efficiently. He admired that, liked her for it. "'No, sir,' Carrie said." He's Muslim, Jesse said, not even Christian. The Reverend addressed Carrie. Do you think he can be saved? Could you help him convert? Carrie avoided his gaze. Ask him, my child, the Reverend said to Carry. He might be the major convert of the season. I don't see baptizing for this guy now or ever, Jesse said. His name's Zemel. Does that sound like a Christ disciple? The Reverend smiled at Jesse, and then he spoke to Carrie. I could talk to him, man to man. Ask things your father might have asked. Bring up the possibility of conversion. He'll meet with you. He said he would, Carrie said. Jesse glared at Carrie. He'll never show. He's not like that, Carrie said. Let's give him a chance, Jesse, the Reverend said. He looked at Carrie. Wednesday afternoon at two? He works. "'Carrie said. "'Thursday evening, then, at seven. "'Jesse looked dubious. "'You want them both?' "'He hadn't considered it, including Carrie or Jesse. "'It was not a good idea. Uh, "'Maybe Zemel alone,' he said. "'Then you later,' he added, looking at Carrie. "'Jesse drove intently, staring ahead. "'Carrie looked out the side window.' The Reverend will never marry you to someone without the faith. It would be his sin and yours, Jessie said. Carrie stayed silent until they were almost home. I'm not going to change my mind. Jessie winced at her growing loss of control. Carrie no longer had her open innocence to all things serious. She was snarled in love. It was as if she were adopted or something. Not like the sisters they had always been. Jessie appealed for help. Pray, Jessie said. Ask God. Carrie's face tightened. Jessie angered. I'm speaking to you. Carrie still said nothing, even in the time it took for Jessie
2: to nose into a space at her apartment complex.
0: Chapter 8 Jesse entered the reverend's church consultation office with Zemel, her hand gripping his upper arm. The reverend sat behind his desk and did not stand. "'This is the guy,' Jesse said. "'I am Zemel.' Zemel reached awkwardly across the desk to shake the reverend's hand. "'Welcome,' the reverend said. "'It is my honor, sir.' "'Sit down,' the reverend said. Jesse sat too. "'I thought he was to come alone.' The Reverend said to Jesse. I wanted to come alone, Zamel said. There you go, Jesse said. No respect. It's what we agreed, the Reverend said. I thought it best, Jesse said defensively, offended at the Reverend's rebuke. The Reverend never registered Jesse's hostility. You would like to marry our Carry, he said to Zamel. We are very compatible, Zamel said. "'You are not Christian?' "'No, sir, I am not. "'But I have many family and friends who have married Christians. "'Our religions are highly compatible.' "'The Reverend frowned. "'You speak like an intelligent man. "'How can you believe mixing religions can be good?' "'We are in love, sir.' "'Jesse spoke to both Zemel and the Reverend. "'Carrie doesn't know what love is. "'I beg to differ, Miss Jessie.' "'She is not a child,' Samel said. "'But she is Christian. I think that is Jesse's point,' the Reverend said. "'She is acceptable to me,' Samel countered. "'We would welcome you in the church,' the Reverend said. "'I would be pleased to consider it,' Samel said. "'Before you get married,' Jesse said. "'Yes, ma'am, if it's possible.' You would need to attend our classes for converts, the reverend said. They're excellent. It's not a one-shot deal, Jesse said. It takes time. Of course I will give it consideration, Zamel said. I will always do what is best for my carry. The reverend reached into a drawer for an appointment book, and then he extended a printed sheet of paper to Zamel. Wednesday nights, seven to ten. I can have you in the class next week. Zamel took the paper and read. The Reverend continued. You can sign at the bottom. The tuition is payable in installments. Twenty dollars for the registration fee up front. Zamel took the paper and picked up the pen that the Reverend had pushed towards him on the desk, but he did not sign. I must wait for payday, he said. The fee is required, said the Reverend. Yes, sir, of course. The Reverend considered. Your payday will be fine, he said, but you'll have to pay the initial installment and the registration fee, too, before starting. Zamel signed and then stood. Is that all, sir? Jesse spoke to Zamel. Go to the car. I want to talk to the Reverend. When the door closed, Jesse took a seat again. The Reverend came from behind the desk and pulled a chair close to Jesse and said, I never knew you charge for conversion classes, Jesse said. "'The Reverend smiled. "'We never charge, "'but I thought I'd test his commitment. "'He'll never pay. "'I won't marry them unless he's Christian. "'He's a polite young man, "'but I find mixed marriages appallingly unsuccessful, "'and I've always liked Carrie. "'I want to discourage him. "'You promise you'll never marry them Christian or not?' "'Jesse said. "'Trust me, he'll never convert.' "'The Reverend smiled. "'They both stood.' The Reverend took Jessie's hand in both of his. Jessie flinched almost imperceptibly at the intimacy of the gesture. Thank you for coming, the Reverend said with excessive intensity. I'll pray for Carrie. you should too. The Reverend still held Jessie's hand in his. She looked uncomfortable and pulled
1: it away quickly, then headed for the door. CHAPTER NINE Two weeks later, Jesse came back
0: to the apartment a little early after work, worried about Carrie and her plans. A waist-high, taped-and-sealed packing box half-blocked the door in the living room. Carrie packed an open suitcase on her sofa-bed. Jesse walked straight to Carrie. The silver wedding band on Carrie's finger caught the afternoon light from the bedroom window. Jesse froze, waiting for an explanation. Talk to me, she finally said. Carrie kept packing, refusing to look. After all I've done for you, the sacrifices, the worry, Jessie glared. What about Mom and Dad? They wouldn't approve. They'd hate him. Carrie paused, her jaw clenched. In God's name, Jessie said, you owe it to their memory. Stop it, Carrie said. Just wearing a ring doesn't make you married, you know. You got to have a church wedding with a real minister. Carrie closed the top of the suitcase and faced Jessie. It's all legal. It's Muslim. My God, you've always dreamed of a church wedding. Zemel loves me. You'll never have that. Not with Patrick. I don't want a foreigner for a brother-in-law. Jessie cried without wanting to. After a few seconds, Carrie smiled hesitantly, hoping Jessie's face would show pleasure, that she would accept and share Zemel and her happiness. Jessie refused to respond. She couldn't stop sobbing. Carrie went back to packing. I hope you'll be happy, Jessie finally managed, but she couldn't hide the sarcasm in her voice. A rusted pickup truck driven by a male Arab pulled into a parking space in front of the apartment. Samel got out of the passenger side and walked slowly to Carrie. She hugged him. He reacted hesitantly at first, then he embraced her. He walked over to Jessie and took both her hands in his. She reluctantly allowed him to come face to face. "'I am indeed fortunate to have such a beautiful sister,' he said. "'How irritating, this happiness on his face.' That's garbage, Jessie said. You know it. Besides, I'll never be your sister. She's a sister-in-law, Samel, Carrie said. I know, Samel said brusquely. Samel carried out the smaller box and Carrie followed her with the suitcase. They returned for the big box and positioned one on each side. Jessie refused to help. Will you come and visit, Carrie asked Jessie. I don't think so. Carrie looked away. She still wanted Jesse's blessing. Zemel lifted the box and silently directed Carrie to help him with his eyes. "'You are always welcome at our place. You are family,' he said over his shoulder to Jesse. They joggled the box through the door and carried it down the walk. Jesse followed them out the door but stopped at the top of the steps. She wanted no clue for them that might expose how empty she felt.' abandoned. She went back inside before they were even near the truck.
1: She closed the door, leaned against the wall, and cried. Chapter 10
0: Zamel's place was a two-car garage, rented to live in, but with almost no conversions for comfort, no interior walls, The only light seeped in through a small rectangular glass window on a side door and the single long slits of frosted glass on each of the two sliding front doors. A sink, a knee-high refrigerator on the floor, and a four-burner stove clustered in the rear corner of the garage. The only furniture in the room was an aluminum tube folding chair with plastic woven strips on the back and seat and a small wooden table. A TV set sat on the floor near the single electrical outlet, and a box-spring mattress on a metal frame was to the side. Indelible oil stains from years of leaky engines stained the bare concrete floor. There was a toilet and a shower that was a showerhead attached to a garden hose and tied loosely to metal tracks that supported the retractable door. Shower water drained over a sloping floor to a central drain. On Zemel and Carey's wedding night... Carrie made a cheese and mayonnaise sandwich for each of them. She lit a candle, melted the bottom end, placed it in a saucer, and set it on a packing box. They sat on the floor near the stove, holding their plates. After dinner, she expertly tucked stained white sheets on a mattress on a frame. It was twilight. She washed the plates in the sink and dried them with a clean but ragged towel and stacked them below the sink where the pipes were. Without a word, she took off her T-shirt, folded it, and put it on her clothes suitcase. She placed her bra on top of her T-shirt. She unbuttoned the top of her jeans, slipped out of her pink sneakers, and undressed with a reticent lack of haste, worried at her lack of knowing how to please. "'We must bathe,' Zamel said, reaching into a Walmart bag, handing her a just-bought-today towel. "'You go first, he said." The toilet near the front corner of the garage was set directly on the cement. Behind it, Carrie twisted the faucet handle on a tea valve to start the flow of water into the hose that led to the shower head. After a few seconds, water trickled to splash on her shoulder. She showered and dried, and walked to the bed. Samel was undressed. He covered his manliness with a wanted shirt. As Zamel showered... Carrie sat on the edge of the bed, her arms wrapped around her knees, the towel around her shoulders. She watched Samel dry and held her breath as he walked to her, with a towel in his hand. He turned off the bare light bulb dangling from the ceiling over the sink. Only weak light came in from the cloudless sky through the frosted windows. "'Samel,' she said softly, He positioned her over the bed, her knees on the floor, her elbows on a pillow on the mattress, her face inches from the sheets, and he took her standing up. She gave a painful gasp. He was finished in seconds. When she realized he was complete, she fell forward on the bed and rolled over. "'Hold me, Samel,' she said. His face was a shadow. "'I could not contain it,' he said. He sat on the bed and put his head in his hands. "'I love you,' she said. He moved rapidly into the shadows on the other side of the garage. It was dark now, the nightlight from outside providing barely enough light to maneuver. Carrie lay on her back with a blanket over her. She heard Zamel's breathing, but could only see his blurred silhouette in the chair. Samel, she said softly, she waited. That was very good. She held her breath in the silence. He spoke as she started breathing again. You make me happy, he said. You are a very good wife. Carrie ignored the rodent scurrying outside the wall near the head of the bed. She was too happy to care, and she enjoyed her pleasure before falling asleep when Zemel came to bed
1: to lie beside her and hold her. CHAPTER
2: 11 Even as a new bride, Carrie worked her movie job
0: six days a week. She cleaned the display cases for packaged candy with Windex twice a day, inside and out. She made small batches of popcorn frequently to keep her customers supplied with the freshest. She mopped her space before and after her shift and greeted returned customers as her friends. At home, Carrie made her marriage compatible, She scrubbed the garage, bought curtains for the side door, got storage bins for their clothes and possessions. She got a small stand for the 18-inch TV and bought, with her savings, a futon for two. Samel joined her when he was home in the evenings, sitting next to her. At times he took her hand in his as they watched sitcoms and talent shows, and she felt his always chilled hand turn warm around her fingers. At night he made love to her, "'exploring her in ways she would relive for days. "'She kept their sheets clean "'and washed the blanket twice a week. "'She learned to cook what he liked "'from his cousin's wife, Fatima, "'who lived in the house next door. "'On the night Zamel never came home "'and she was alone, "'she learned to weave mats on a handloom "'Fatima no longer used "'because the children were so daily. "'And she lived in clouds of exhaustion "'and suffered from loneliness.' and her shame of withdrawal from her wifely duties after her second child was born breach, and with difficulties. Jessie didn't see Carrie at all during this time, and Carrie and Zemel had no home phone. Jessie missed Carrie's company at the mall, and after she left, Carrie had never invited her to Zamel's place. Jessie's loneliness intensified her curiosity about Carrie's life so she went to see Wonder Woman 2 at Movieplex on her afternoon off. Carrie was behind the counter. Jessie whispered to her when she thought no one could hear. "'I miss you,' she confessed. "'What's up with Zamel?' "'He's busy,' Carrie smiled. She was chronically content. "'You guys must be rich. Two jobs and all. "'His mother's in Iran. "'We send our money to her so she can come to America.' Carrie gave Jessie a large popcorn without charge, buttered too. Maybe we could hit the ball sometime, Jessie asked. I can't now, Jessie. I got to be home for Zamel. He comes home at all hours. I'm your sister. Maybe later, after we're settled a little more. He doesn't love you, Jessie said. Carrie busied herself straightening the candy bar display. Jessie held back her anger. Carrie was taking marriage too seriously when she turned her back on the only family who cared about her now. And Creepy Zamel was obviously a slave master. She doubted this marriage would last the year. Jessie took her popcorn. Carrie stood up still smiling. God, Jessie missed her baby sister talking about her ups and downs. There had been a loving closeness over the years, especially when she had moved in and when
1: Jessie took on Carrie's troubles as her own. Chapter 12 A month passed. Jessie's loneliness
0: and worry persisted. Finally, she determined to visit Carrie. It was, after all, her obligation to care for her sister. She needed to know what had happened. Would Carrie be happy? Who were her friends? Would she and Zamel work out? Jessie parked her car in front of Carrie's two-car garage, set back a few yards from the street on a paved driveway. The garage looked flimsy, standing alone on the lot where the house to the left was now merely a concrete block foundation smothered with packed, hardened ashes from a fire years ago. The only entrance to the garage was an undersized door on the side. The two front sliding garage doors had been nailed immobile with wooden two-by-fours crisscrossing the outside. To the right of the garage, a one story house had a small porch littered with bicycles and toys and a rusted 75 year old barber's chair. From the back of her car, Jesse took out Carrie's rocking chair and approached the side door. Carrie opened the door a crack before Jesse arrived. Only half of Carrie's face was visible. You home alone? Jesse asked. Through the narrow opening, only dark was behind Carrie with no details. "'The frown on Carrie's face was stark and unfriendly. "'It's a mess,' Carrie said. Jessie waited for the door to open, holding the chair. "'I thought you might want this,' she said. "'Carrie opened the door a little and then changed her mind and narrowed the opening again. "'We aren't ready, uh—' "'Here, take the chair,' Jessie insisted. "'Carrie hesitated, opened the door a little, and then took the chair.' Jessie hoped to see her sister's living conditions, but she saw only the bleak darkness of an interior with little natural light. Some other time, Jessie. It's early. Samil so is not dressed. Jessie backed away, her curiosity not satisfied. Sure, she said, trying to sound light-hearted. Hey, take care. Call me. Carrie closed the door without a word. Jessie slammed her car door, cranked the engine. Someone yelled. Zamel ran from the garage shirtless, waving his arms, then putting his hands through the armholes of a short sleeved shirt as he ran and pulled it on over his head. As he approached, Jesse rolled down the window. Zamel leaned down to see better. Miss Jesse, it's kind for you to come, to bring Carrie's chair. No problem. I wanted to talk. You're never quiet, Zamel. I might need your help for my work. It's not Christian, but I don't want to help you with your work. You don't have to do anything. That makes me very happy. I must be honest, Samel said. I wanted to see uh, about—maybe I could—I mean, Carrie and me, say, borrow your car sometime. I need for Carrie and me to shop, maybe for an afternoon.' "'Absolutely not. "'Just for a short time, and maybe I won't need it,' he said. "'No. "'Later, then. "'Would maybe you shift your mind for Carrie?' "'Jesse rolled up the window. Zimmel frowned as she drove off. "'Jesse could see him in her mirror "'until the car turned the corner at the end of the street
1: "'and slipped between the trees that lined the two-lane country road.' Chapter thirteen The night Carrie waited
0: to tell Zamel she was pregnant. He did not come home when expected. They still had no phone at home. Zamel's cell phone was always clipped to his Sansa Belt waistband. Carrie checked with Fatima, Zamel's cousin's wife next door, but she had no news about Zamel. After eleven, Zamel burst through the door, followed by two dark skinned men his age. Go to the back, Zamel said to Carrie. "'Are you all right?' she asked Zemel. The tension the men brought into her home made her afraid. Zemel did not answer. The two men sat on the bed, and Zamel pointed Carrie to the back of the garage, behind the two hanging sheets. Carrie complied, closing the opening between the sheets behind her, and sat on a pallet on the floor, and listened for understanding to a mix of Arabic and English words from the other room. A friend had been arrested, a stolen car driven through a glass window into a student center at the college, but the bomb had fizzled. She had heard that part on the TV news. Even in silences, she could feel the despair in each of them. Over the next hour, the men's words had become earnest, repetitive, with frequent corrections and arguments. When the men left, Zamel went to carry, still huddled on a blanket she'd spread on the floor. He reached down to help her up. "'Will everything be all right?' she asked. "'Go to bed,' he said. "'She wanted to stay with him. "'I need you tonight,' she said. "'I'm spent from work,' he said, pulling her up from the blanket and lying down. "'Go to bed.' "'He sat in one of the folding chairs. "'I will sleep here.' "'She stood still for a moment, wanting to tell him her news.' His eyes were closed, his head back, and he was breathing hard and fast. She backed away from him, before turning and leaving him to go to bed and lie on her back staring into the dark. She waited three days to tell him about the baby. They were watching TV on the futon. "'I'm pregnant,' she said. He held her with real
2: joy. "'I pray to Allah for a boy,' he said.
1: Chapter fourteen
0: The Reverend Luther Coffee asked Jessie to dinner. The restaurant table had a red tablecloth, a candle and silver plated utensils. He asked about Carrie. I'm not sure, but I think she was trying to look happy when I saw her the last time, Jessie said. The Reverend enjoyed Jessie's intensity about everything, and he loved her wholesome look. You think it will last? he asked. "'It's hard to tell about marriages. "'Maybe there is something there.' "'I doubt it,' he said. "'You can't trust foreigners. "'Sometimes he does things that make me wonder "'if he really cares for her. "'He wanted to borrow my car.' "'Sounds typical. "'Put you on the spot like that,' he said. "'He's as smooth as they come. "'I've seen a lot of them. "'Desperate for intimacy. "'Ready to make their stay in a new country "'as permanent as they possibly can.' I only saw her for a few seconds. She wasn't glad to see me, but at least she didn't seem frightened of Zamel. You thought she might be? Who knows? He's sexist. I imagine they all beat their wives. We can't let her heart be broken, he said. She's too good a person to let that happen. I've tried everything, Jesse said defensively. Visit her often. Point out her misery. She won't want me. "'I was hurt when she turned me away.' "'She may not know it, but I'm sure she wants to see you.' He straightened the silver on each side of his plate, lining them on exact parallel. "'You didn't see her face when I went to her place,' Jesse said. He paused. "'It's the Christian thing to do,' he said. "'After dinner, in the restaurant parking lot, the Reverend opened his passenger door for Jesse.' Did you have a good time? he asked. She didn't answer right away. I did, she finally said, slightly unsure of what she had expected for the evening. He was on the edge of boring sometimes, but he cared about Carrie. She valued that. The Reverend pulled into a motel parking lot off the main street on the way to Jesse's apartment and killed the engine. Jesse looked at him. What's up? she said. I thought maybe we could spend some time alone here together. Here? Someplace private? Someplace where the wrong people won't see? See what? Us talking together? We just went to dinner. We talked at dinner, Jessie frowned. Please take me home. Couldn't we talk here, then? In the car? We don't have to get out. Instead of going inside a motel? He couldn't say what he felt. She seemed unaware of the longing he was suffering. "'I want to go home,' she said. He mustered his courage. You, you, "'You mean a lot to me, Jessie." "'Not in a motel. Go home. Take a cold shower.' "'It's not like that.' "'But it was like that. "'We can go somewhere else. "'I just don't want the congregation gossiping.' She set her jaw and looked away. He started the car, flustered at her refusal. "'You've uh, t- t- you've totally misunderstood. I'm a better person than you suppose, Reverend.' "'You're a good woman, Jessie. I never meant anything else.'
2: She shook her head in disbelief. "'A motel. You, of
1: all people.' Chapter 15
2: Patrick a tall, thin man with an angular face, sharp
0: features, blue eyes, and wearing a white long-sleeved shirt and a wrapped tie, pulled up his jockey shorts and stepped into his gray slacks. He fastened his genuine alligator belt, turned to a mirrored cabinet over the metal sink, and, taking a comb from his back pocket, slowly, almost tenderly, combed his red hair. "'It's still good, ain't it?' Patrick said to Jesse with pride. It was the energy he delivered during sex that satisfied him. The strength of his hands on the breast, his gripping the arms, holding his subject almost in air on entrance. He retrieved his tasseled Italian leather shoes, polished to mirror images from under the exam chair, crammed in amid the optical paraphernalia in his optometrist's office. Jessie lay awkwardly on her side on the examining chair, reclined to the maximum, but still with an angle between the seat and the back. You okay? Patrick said. It hurts, Jessie said. She bent her legs to relieve sharp pains in the vagina. She slid gingerly off the table. She was nude except for her panties that had nestled around her right ankle. She pulled up her panties and put her foot into her pastel pink uniform pants and finished buttoning her white uniform blouse. "'It didn't hurt last time, did it?' Patrick asked. "'That was different. "'What's wrong?' "'This chair hurts me every time,' she said. "'Sometimes I can't move right for days.' Patrick pulled out a paper towel from a wall dispenser and wiped his hands. "'Can't we go somewhere else?' she said. Patrick was slipping his arms into his white knee-length professional coat, and an ophthalmoscope fell out of the side pocket and clambered to the floor. He swore. Did you hear me? Jesse said. This is important. Like a motel? You know I can't take the chance now. Not a motel. Someplace romantic. Not the right time, he said. Too risky. When, then? The kids love Christmas. I've got to wait till after Christmas. You'll tell her about the divorce? I promised, didn't I? That was long ago. Here is best, after work locked down, he said. Could we get a place of our own even before the divorce? Quit complaining, Jesse. I'm tired of being convenient on an exam chair that hurts. We can do it on the floor, then. I can shove the slit lamp out of the way. That's humiliating. He was busy pocketing his wallet and his keys, stuffing a few papers and charts into a leather briefcase. Do you love me? Jesse asked. He shuffled through charts, being sure they were complete. That's hurtful, Jesse. After all this time, how could you ask that? It's not a complicated question. Do you love me, yes or no? Of course I do. You're everything to me. Have you ever hinted your leaving? Do you talk to her about it? He laughed. God no, <laughs> she'd explode. Why not tell her now, if you love me? Patrick adjusted the exam chair to its normal upright position, ready for tomorrow's patient load. Stop whining, he said. I need respect, Patrick. Just one little peapot of old fashioned respect. I'm not a whore off the streets. Patrick's face reddened. The constant probing irritated him. "'I'm tired of this shit.' Jesse's heart pounded. Her mind swirled with accusations mixed with the demands of his expression for love. "'You're tired? You're tired of making love to me? Is that what you mean?' "'Don't twist my words,' he said. "'Say what you mean. Stop bitching, Jessie. I need to know. I need to know you love me. I can't go on without that.' he latched his briefcase. You ain't worth this crap. The sense of her being used broke through, although she knew it had been lurking inside her for months. I hate you, she said. He hit her full face with the flat of his hand. She fell to the floor. He backed away, breathing heavily. She rose on her knees, groping for the exam chair for support. Is this the real you? She felt her face with her fingers. He stood rigid with anger. Why would this barely competent, impudent assistant turn into a nagging bitch after all he'd done for her? Who else would have fucked her? Christ, she looked like the farmer's daughter she was. "'You're fired,' he said. "'You've never been any good, anyway.' "'You're sick,' she said. Obviously he didn't love her now, but to preserve her self-respect, she tried to believe that he needed her at the time they started as lovers— and he had made her feel alive, for a while anyway. Now she feared the humiliation that her trust in his love had been so wrong. He refused to speak, trying to get control of himself, trying not to hit her again. She could not look at him, afraid to confirm again that he cared nothing for her. She stood unsteadily, walked to the door, and undid the lock. She walked into the dark office past the reception desk. She grabbed her shoulder bag that had been stuffed out of sight under the counter. She closed the outer door with deliberation and the least
2: amount of sound she could manage. Chapter
0: 16 Dark storm clouds kept the nightlight of the sky dimmer than usual in the garage. Carrie arranged her table on a downturned cardboard packing box. She had made two peanut butter and grape jelly sandwiches on white bread, each on its own paper towel. Sliced wedges of tomato were carefully arranged on a saucer next to a clear glass salt shaker. Two ball jars were partially filled with orange soda. A single white frosted cupcake, with a red candle stuck in the top, was at one side. She lit the candle with a paper match from a fold-over pack. The flame burned even in the still air. Zamel sat cross legged on the floor. He picked up the sandwich. She sat on the edge of the bed and watched lovingly as he ate. Don't stare, he said. It's rude. It's fun being married, she said. You too? Zamel continued eating. Well? Zamel put down his half eaten sandwich and salted a tomato slice. Say something sweet, she said. It's our anniversary. Zemel looked surprised at first, but frowned to cover any show of emotion. He ate another tomato wedge. "'I know you love me,' she said without a bit of rancor at his aloofness. Zemel's face remained impassive. "'You're silly,' she said. "'You are a silly little boy.' Zemel frowned at first at what he took as a rebuke, but when he looked at her, he knew she was incapable of intentional hurt. He rendered a faint, contained smile, and his look softened. "'Come on, say it,' she teased. Zamel laughed. He took her in his arms. He whispered in her ear, "'You are the best happening of my entire life.' "'Say it, you silly goose.' He laughed and kissed her with growing passion. "'Say you love me.' He kissed her again. And she knew that he couldn't say those three easy words he thought might diminish him in the world, even though no one would ever
1: know. And to her, it didn't matter. Chapter 17 At the
0: movieplex. Jessie paid for a ticket and passed the ticket taker at the turnstile before she saw Carrie working alone, finishing filling the roaster pan with popcorn seed. A few patrons passed as Jessie walked up slowly to the counter. "'Hey, girl,' she said. "'Still with butter?' Carrie smiled. "'On the diet. Broke up with Patrick. Gotta start looking good.' "'He's such a jerk.' Carrie handed Jesse a large tub of popcorn. As always, neither expected payment was needed. But Jesse knew Carrie would put money in the till for the popcorn after she left. "'I'm looking for work,' Jesse said. Carrie looked radiant. Her skin glowed. Her hair was lustrous. Carrie served another customer candy and a Coke. Jesse moved to one side and ate her popcorn until the customer left. "'You guys must be rich. Two jobs and all.' Jesse said. Zemel's mother is coming from Iran. We send money for her. Your place large enough? Carrie hesitated, unable to look Jesse in the eye. I wanted to tell you. We're going to have a baby. Oh, no. Samel wants a boy. And you, what do you want? Jesse asked. A boy would be nice, like Zemel. Can you afford it? And it costs, like, thousands to have a kid. His mama will help. His mama will suck up everything you have. Carrie opened the transparent door on the popcorn maker and fluffed popcorn with a scoop. We're happy, she said. I don't believe that, Carrie. You're living like welfare. Even in the bustle of the lobby, the silence between them turned awkward. Carrie unbuttoned the top of her shirt and with the back of her hand showed an almond-sized citrine on a silver chain. "'Jesse tried to seem unimpressed. "'Zemel?' Jesse asked. "'It was his sister's. She died.' "'Carrie buttoned up. "'She took a paper towel from a roll "'and wiped the counter intently, although it was spotless. "'You'll miss your show,' Carrie said. "'She turned away from Jesse to another customer and smiled. "'Jesse fought off the pain of Carrie's sudden disinterest. "'Jesse hadn't expected a baby so soon.' She should have responded with a little more enthusiasm. "'Call me sometime,' Jessie said as she walked away. Carrie waved, barely looking at her. When Jessie was out of Carrie's sight, she turned toward the exit, dumped her popcorn in a trash can, after a little fuss with the manager, got a
1: refund on her ticket, and left." CHAPTER 18 After three weeks of job hunting, Jessie
0: landed a sales job in furniture. A big store all on ground level with track lighting and clustered displays. To avoid having to look at her image, she walked around the Cheval mirror plopped in the center of a bedroom display in the back section of the store. She hated her too-tight pants, and white open-necked blouse with plastic buttons on the front and an oval patch above the left breast pocket stitched with Gripper's furniture in the center. She had to carry a sign on a short stick that said, "'How can I help you?' She saw Harold Lester enter the front of the store. He walked straight toward her. "'New job?' he asked. He'd shaved off his face hair and gotten a haircut since she'd last seen him many months now at the museum.' "'Go away,' she said. "'He took out a leather fold-over wallet from his pocket "'and flashed official identification too fast for her to read. "'So you're a cop. "'More like an investigator,' he said. "'FBI? "'I work with him sometimes,' he said. "'And all that B.S. about old school friends, church?' "'He shrugged. "'You like this work?' he asked. "'Temporary. "'It's barely enough to pay the rent.' She positioned the sign in front of Harold and pointed to it. A dining-room suite, maybe. I got walnut traditional at fifty percent off. He shook his head. I need to ask you some questions about this Samel guy. You want a bedroom suite? Come on, Jesse, I'm serious. Miss Broward to you. She wasn't angry, really, just disappointed he would lie to her about school. If he's done something wrong, arrest him. At least that would get him away from my sister. There is no proof. Of what? Of wrong? Is he legal? On a student visa. Well, he works a lot of jobs. You admire him? I don't like him. Too smooth, sneaky-like, but my sister trusts him. They're going to have a baby. Jessie placed her sign on the checkout counter. "'Do you know his friends?' Lester asked. "'My sister doesn't even want me to visit. "'Does she ever mention his friends? "'I don't talk to her. She doesn't have a phone. "'He has a cell phone. "'I don't think he lets her use it. "'And she's never mentioned his friends? "'You went there at least once. Talked to her. "'I said ten sentences to her max at the house. "'Jesse picked up a sale brochure and handed it to Harold.' who did not take it. Buy a recliner, she said. Thirty percent off till the end of the week. I get full price commission on sale items this week only. Nothing today, he said. You'll be sorry. Hard to believe. I'll feel sorry about not buying a
2: recliner, he said as he left.
0: Chapter 19 Jessie took a sick day off from the furniture store. She parked her car on the street and walked up the drive to Carrie's garage home. She hesitated and then, with a deep sigh, summoned determination to knock on the door. The door opened. Carrie answered. It was dark inside again and impossible to see details behind Carrie. "'Hi,' Jessie said. "'I didn't know you were coming,' Carrie said. "'You don't have a phone. How could I leave a message?' "'Simmel always keeps it with him for business.' "'So what am I supposed to do?' Jesse asked. "'Not come?' "'It's okay,' Carrie said. Jesse choked up. "'It's it's not been easy, Carrie, without Patrick. "'You miss him?' "'I don't have anyone now.' She didn't miss Patrick. It was just that he left an uncomfortable void in her life. Carrie had not opened the door more than a few inches— Zamel did not like visitors when he wasn't in the garage. But she missed Jessie, in spite of herself. Her heart filled with pleasure at seeing her. Not busy. Come on in, Jessie. You can meet Zamel's mother. Mother? Jessie had no idea mother had arrived. Why had Carrie turned so secretive with marriage? Was she ashamed she'd be criticized, ridiculed? Well, Jessie had only told Carrie the truth and never tried to persuade her with anything else. Who could fault that? Jesse followed Carrie inside. Bed sheets were fastened to metal garage ceiling supports so the garage space was roughly divided in two. Carrie led her past two pallets, each with a blanket folded at the foot but no sheets, that were spread out on the floor, about five feet apart. Carrie held a hanging sheet aside for Jessie to enter the other section, There was a double bed, a mattress on a frame, with no headboard. A woman in a dark dress, with a russari over her head, sat on the floor on a small woven, red and dark blue carpet, peeling turnips with a serrated knife. Jessie leaned over to come within a few inches of mother. Jessie spoke loudly and slowly, moving her lips excessively to exaggerate her diction. I am Jessie. Do you like America? she asked. The woman looked away, quickly smiling, insecurely. America, peachy. Really, Jesse said. Nice you came. It was meaner than she had meant. Mother has nine children, Carrie said. Nine? Mother kept looking down, pretending the conversation was not about her. What are you due? Jesse asked Carrie. Mother says by the end of next month. What does the doctor say? "'Carrie pointed to the bed. "'That's where Mother sleeps.' "'Carrie took Jessie's hand "'and led her back through the slit in the hanging sheets. "'Carrie showed her plastic boxes "'stacked behind a sheet draped near the door. "'I use this for storage,' she said. "'She pointed to the two pallets. Zemella and me sleep here. "'Looks painful, being pregnant and all, "'and sleeping on the floor,' Jessie said. "'Once you get used to it,' Carrie said, "'it's not so bad.' "'Sad you need to explain your miserable surroundings,' Jessie thought. "'But she held back a retort. "'They went back where Mother sat. "'Carrie directed Jessie a short distance to the sink "'next to the decades-old electric four-burner stove "'with chipped porcelain surface on the oven door. "'A small knee-high counter refrigerator sat on the floor, "'a brown extension cord creeping along the wall to an outlet.' Carrie opened the refrigerator and handed Jesse a soda. Mountain Dew is mother's favorite, Carrie said. She took a glass from the sink and filled it with tap water. Jesse grabbed Carrie's arm. I want to talk to you outside. Jesse muscled Carrie out the door onto the drive. Mother did not look up as they left. A man rode a mower on the lawn of the house next door. Jesse spoke loudly over the noise. This is stupid, she said to Carrie. You shouldn't have come, Carrie said. Jessie had made her feel unworthy. Jessie handed back the unopened Mountain Dew. I don't want this, she said. Carrie put the Mountain Dew in her dress pocket, still holding her water glass. The mower was farther away now, the noise less. I am so much happier than I ever was, Carrie said in a normal voice. You mean happier without me? Jessie asked. With Zemel, Carrie said. It's not getting away from you. Jessie tensed, clenching her jaw, her hands and fist. Carrie's initial discomfort at having Jessie there confirmed that Carrie had removed Jessie from her life. The moral was close again. You're living like white trash, Jessie said. It's embarrassing. She paused intently. You need a doctor. You don't know what I need. But Carrie's face softened as her anger waned. She could never stay angry long. The Mora waned too. Samel's a good man, Carrie said. I'm lucky to have him. Jessie knew she had overreacted. She felt slightly guilty and more conciliatory now. He's not one of us, Carrie. It's not normal. Carrie angered again. It wasn't right for Jessie to talk like that. Don't come back. It's you who's not one of us. The mower noise crescendoed. That goddamn mower? Who the hell is that? Jessie asked. George, Samel's cousin, Carrie said. The whole family. How do you stand it? Jessie shook her head, unable to comprehend. Carrie wiped tears from her eyes with the back of her hand, then walked back to the garage. Jessie had failed with Carrie. She had wanted her back, wanted them to be family again. Jessie walked toward the car. George finished mowing the small patch of grass and drove the mower next to her. He idled the blade. Jesse was unsure what he intended and stopped. She saw a woman's face in the window of the house. George shut off the mower. He waved toward the house. That is Fatima, my wife. Fatima came out of the front door and stood on the step, her hands on her hips. Two children joined her. She spoke to them in an angry tone with foreign words. "'I'm Carrie's sister,' Jessie said. George stared at Jessie. Fatima came from the house and stood a few feet from Jessie and George. The children stopped, shoulder to shoulder, a few feet behind her. "'Do you speak English?' Jessie said to George. George was impassive. "'You are Zemel's cousin, aren't you?' she asked. My wife is cousin to the mayor of Hutchings, South Carolina. La di da, Jesse thought. The woman turned to return to the house, roughly shoving the children's shoulders to hurry them along. The human air around Jesse felt dense with the woman's hostility. Be good to my sister, Jesse said. She is like family. We do not want you here. When Jesse got in our car, George pulled the cord to start the motor. The mower engine roared. Jessie's heart was empty. She'd lost what had been between Carrie and her. It wasn't as abrupt as an amputation, more like an oozing hemorrhage. So slowly Jessie really wasn't sure what had left and when it had gone. Had she failed as a surrogate mother? She hadn't succeeded. She would always carry that burden. But worst of all, she'd lost the will to be happy. "'She had slumped into just getting through each
2: day "'without a single ray of excitement about the future. "'Chapter 20 "'Carrie, now in her last
0: month of pregnancy, "'washed dishes by hand, "'standing at the sink in the garage apartment. Zamel's mother sat away from Carrie on the bed "'with a plastic container on her knees snapping beans.' Carrie jerked with a surprise and an instant of fear when Zemel and his two comrades, Habib and Tamim, entered through a side door of the garage. Zemel's mother continued with her work unperturbed. The distress on Zemel's face pained her heart. "'What's happened?' she asked. "'Nothing. Go back,' he said. "'Tell me what's wrong,' Carrie said. "'Be quiet. Take mother with you.' The two women went behind the hanging sheets that separated the two areas to sit on the pallets. Tamim sat on the bed. Habib squatted on the floor. Samel pulled up the only chair to a fold-up card table and sat. They said nothing for more than a minute, Habib breathing deeply. Tamim placed a laptop computer on the table. See if it works, he said. Samel plugged in the power after taking the TV plug from the wall receptacle. The computer screen lit after a few seconds. Zemel laughed humorously. <laughs> it turns on. Does it have enough whatever, Habib said? Zemel navigated for a few seconds. Not enough memory. And the software is not here. I will look in all the files, but I don't think it's there. Is it his computer? Are you sure? Tamin said to Habib. It was on his desk, in a briefcase. "'Why wouldn't it be his?' Habib answered. "'Tamin swore. "'Look again,' Tamid said to Zamel. "'I cannot test it thoroughly now,' Zamel said. "'It will take hours to be sure.' "'You will have to go back to find another,' Tamin said to Habib. "'Habib shrugged. "'Let him do it,' he said, nodding to Zamel. "'He cannot raise suspicion where he works,' Tamin said." Carrie stuck her head between the sheets. Her face was intent with concern and curiosity. "Uh, "'Do you want something to drink?' she said. "'Leave us,' Zamel said. Habib stood and walked to Carrie. He briefly touched her cheek with the back of his hand. He grinned. "'You are woman for the gods.' "'Don't touch her,' Zamel said. Habib backed away. "'We have things to do,' Tamin said." Habib gave a short, cruel laugh as Carrie retreated behind the sheets. Zemel glanced to the computer. I will test it tonight. Wait until I know for sure if we can use it. Tamin and Habib moved to the door. You must never come here again, Zemel said. We will come when we want, Habib said. Zamel stayed motionless until they were gone. Carrie rushed out from behind the sheets. Mother stayed seated and could be seen as a shadow through the sheet barrier. "'Tell me, Zemel,' Carrie said. "'You must never know,' Zemel said. "'Even I do not know the details.' Carrie went behind the screen and leaned against the wall in despair from the exclusion. Zemel's mother sat on a pallet and continued her bean snaps. The snaps were loud now. Mother purposely did not look at Carrie.' Carrie suspected Mother knew more than she let on, but since Mother did not talk to her in any language,
2: there was no way to be sure. Chapter
0: Twenty-One. Weeks later, Jessie sat at the same table in the mall that she and Carrie had sat at, waiting for Zemel. Now more than a year before, the food court was busy but not crowded. She had a large cup of black coffee in front of her and a paper boat with only a few remaining French fries. She stared vacantly toward the escalators. Harold Lester emerged and walked toward her. She looked away, hoping to discourage him. She hadn't seen him since he had come to the furniture store. "Uh, "'This food will make you die young,' he said. "'You a doctor?' "'I care about your health.' "'So you can make me spy on my brother-in-law?' He pulled out a chair and sat down. "'Please don't sit there,' Jessie said. She drank cold coffee to appear offended, but she was curious why he was still following her. "'Why so hostile?' Harold said, staying where he was seated. Jessie shrugged. "'I don't like all this sneaky stuff.' "'I could take you out to dinner,' Harold smiled. "'How ridiculous the idea was.' There were times like this that made her want to hide under a rock to avoid him. Would that be okay, he said, dinner? Say what you have to say here, she said. I wouldn't talk business at dinner, he said. Have you got enough to grab him yet, Jesse said. No. Harold leaned back and stretched out his legs. You were out to your sister's again. What did she say? She said very specifically... "'Don't talk to bald old men with mustaches.' "'She give you a reason?' he asked. "'They're jerks.' "'Anything else?' "'And serious health risks.' "'Nothing new about Zamel?' "'Not one thought to report. "'He wasn't there.' Jessie saw a security guard near the elevator. "'Sometimes I think you're stalking me,' she said, "'waving to a security guard for help,' She'd file a complaint. Harold turned so the guard could see him and held up his hand in a friendly greeting. The guard stopped and smiled. Harold gave a thumbs-up. The guard walked down the mall in the opposite direction. "'What did all that mean?' Jesse said. "'I'm not a threat,' Harold said. "'Then why do you keep coming around unannounced?' He smiled. "'You know, you're more likable than you want to be sometimes.' I'll bet I'm a lot less likable than you think I am. Jessie stood picking up her bag. What's Samelle done wrong? Nothing I know of, exactly. He's suspected. A terrorist? I can't prove it. Then why are you here? It's my job. You're creepy. Jessie walked away. Harold caught up. He handed her a card. Call me if you need me. If you think of anything important. I think I'll tell Zamel about you. He smiled. You think I wouldn't be here if he didn't know? Well, I'll tell him anyway, to scare him away from my sister. Maybe she could grow up normal. She walked away, not sure where she was going, but making an effort to appear she had a purpose. She did not know what Harold did, really. Internal security? Police? FBI? FBI? her best guess would be working as an immigration official. She doubted Zamel was still legally in the country, but Harold didn't seem tame enough for immigration, and Zamel might be a terrorist. They were popping up everywhere since 9-11. Jesse called the number on the card Harold gave her, but the number went directly to him, and she hung up when he answered,
1: not finding any clue as to whom he worked for. CHAPTER 22 The same evening,
0: Jessie went up the stairs to her apartment. Carrie sat on the floor next to the apartment door. She leaned against the door, her knees up, her infant wrapped in a blanket in her arms. When she saw Jessie, Carrie stopped nursing and discreetly buttoned her shirt. Jessie knelt to see the baby better. "'What's up?' she asked Carrie. "'You okay?' Jessie pulled back the blanket. She still did not approve of mixed-marriage offspring, but she was drawn by the fragile beauty of this newborn. The baby burped. You want to come in? Jessie said to Carrie. Is it all right? Carrie asked. Why wouldn't it be all right? You're not planning to move in, are you? The hurt on Carrie's face made Jessie want to take back her remark. Carrie sat on a two-seater sofa and laid the baby beside her, placing a pillow to prevent sliding off. Zemel kick you out? Jesse asked. That's so mean, Carrie said. Well, tell me. He takes good care of me, Jesse. And his mother? She taking good care of you, too? She may be going back to Iran. I think so. Her visa's up. But she needs money. Zemel's taken on another job. He's never home. How do you put up with it? He loves me. He can't love you. Dr. Patrick didn't love you. That's different. Zamel cares, Carrie said. Jessie couldn't hide her irritation, and Carrie's reference to Patrick shamed her when she thought how she had succumbed to his lust in the clutch of sin. Carrie was right. There was no love with Patrick like Carrie seemed to have with Zamel. Jessie felt a pang of jealousy. Samel will leave you,' Jesse said. "'You'll be alone with the baby.' "'He will not,' Carrie said. "'He's trying to get his green card.' "'Now Jesse wanted to hurt. "'Did you know there's an investigator following him? "'He's been asking me questions about Samuel for months. "'He's got government identification. "'He won't say exactly, but I think he's immigration.' "'She looked away and paused before she met Carrie's gaze again.' Maybe he's looking for terrorists. Zamel looks like one. He's not a terrorist, Carrie said, but Jesse heard the hesitancy of doubt in Carrie's voice. Carrie might suspect, too. Something's happened, Jesse said. Has not, Carrie said. He bring you here? We took the bus. When's the last time you saw him? Jesse asked. A week. You really did hope to move in here, didn't you? I just wanted to see you. Carrie looked away suddenly, her face tense and anxious with exhaustion. The awkward silence isolated each in her own world. The baby gave a little cry. Carrie rocked the child gently. Is it Zumel's mother? Jessie asked. She loves Golshan, Jessie. Does she speak English yet? She doesn't try. She won't turn on the TV to learn. "'Does she talk to you?' Jessie asked. "'Carrie adjusted the baby in her arms. "'She sobbed. "'I'm so lonely.' Jessie sat beside Carrie on the sofa, touched her hand. "'Carrie touched the baby's mouth with her finger, "'and Carrie cried softly for a few seconds. "'Oh, Jessie, he can't tell me things. "'I get so lonely when he's gone. "'What about his cousin next door? "'His wife?' They talk to you. She doesn't like me, and he won't speak to me. Jessie leaned back on the sofa and put her head back. I don't have enough room for the two of you. I could never leave Samel, Carrie said. He's left you without a word. He always comes back. He needs me, Jessie. He's not a strong man sometimes. Jessie paused with her eyes closed. "'But he's stubborn. "'He doesn't believe in himself sometimes, "'but he's very kind to me. "'He's out for himself, Carrie. "'Anyone can see that.' "'They sat in silence for many minutes, "'Carrie rocking the baby now. "'Carrie touched Jesse's arm. "'It's too late to go back home,' Carrie said. "'Could we at least stay the night?' "'Jesse pulled the blanket to the side to look at the baby.' She touched her index finger to the little hand that clamped down, a tiny but strong grasp that sparked a wave of emotions. Attraction, caring, and a deep sadness. Jessie, with her gaze, let Carrie know they could stay the night. She held back on mentioning that she wanted them to stay as long as they wanted. Jessie brought in blankets and pillows to fashion a makeshift crib. Carrie lay on the sofa, her head back, her eyes closed, but not asleep. Her hand protected the baby beside her. The baby whimpered. Carrie stood and cradled the baby in her arms. Hold her, Carrie said to Jessie. Jessie took the baby. Carrie went to the bathroom and shut the door. The baby whimpered again and started to cry. Jessie, her face impassive, tightened her grip on the child and swung from side to side. The child stopped crying, the face comforted. The baby soon slept her face toward Jessie. The child had a unique beauty, not because she was newborn, but she had the fine features and glowing skin of a Persian princess. Jessie felt an unchecked love for the child, and the intensity made her more uncomfortable than she expected. Carrie returned and reached for her child. For an instant Jessie did not want to let go. What is her name again? Jessie asked. Golshan Carrie said. After Carrie and Golshan were settled, Jessie went to the kitchenette to prepare something to eat. Three hard knocks on the door startled her. Golshan cried. Jessie went to the door silently tiptoeing on the carpet. She was breathing hard. She touched nothing but placed her ear against the panel. Someone beat a fist against the door now. Five times. She pulled back. Zamel. Carrie said from the couch. Silence. Both women listened. "'Who is it?' Jesse finally said. "'It's me,' the voice said. "'It's Zamel,' Carrie said. Jesse opened the door. Zamel pushed his way in. "'Get your belongings, wife.' "'Calm down,' Jesse said. Carrie would not move. Zamel stuffed baby things into Carrie's tote bag and grabbed her arm, pulling her up. "'Get Golshan,' he said.' Jessie faced Samel. Leave them alone. She feared for Carrie now and Goshan. It's okay, Jessie. Carrie said, standing and wrapping Goshan in a blanket. Samel shoved Carrie and the baby out the door, and followed, carrying the bag. You left her, you creep, Jessie said. Jessie, I warn you, do not interfere, Samel said, his eyes hard with anger. Jesse stood in the apartment doorway as they disappeared down the stairs at the end of the hall. Zamel said nothing in the borrowed truck he took Carrie and Golshan home in. I was just lonely, Carrie said, but Zamel did not reply. When they entered the garage apartment, Mother took Golshan. Zamel took Carrie's hand and led her behind the hanging sheets for he made tender love to her and held her until she slept,
2: the first peaceful sleep she'd had in months. Chapter 23
0: After the breakup with Patrick and with the new job at the furniture store that made her dread going to work, Jesse started going regularly to church she had heard nothing from Carrie or Zamel. She was afraid a visit to the garage might put Carrie and Golshan in danger. Carrie had not spoken to Jessie After Carrie's return to the garage, Carrie seemed determined to exclude Jessie from their lives. And Jessie recalled frequently, in detail, the touch and feel of Golshan, pleasant memories of loving the open innocence and unconditional acceptance of a newborn. It was Sunday, The sun's morning rays pierced the branches of the oaks in the churchyard to blanket the front of the church and its steeple with variegated shadows patched with intense reflections from the white paint. The Reverend Luther Coffey, his back to the sun, greeted parishioners as they left the service. "'Thank you so much for coming,' he said with fragile sincerity to an elderly woman. "'I'm so glad you're feeling better.' Jesse bypassed the line and circled away from the reverend. The Reverend excused himself from the next in line and walked quickly to Jessie, touching her arm to make her stop. Could we talk? There's nothing to talk about, Jessie said. About Carrie. How could Jessie know the Reverend's true motives? Should she agree or leave? After all, he had wanted to take her to a motel. She'd come to believe he was too inexperienced with women to want more than talk, even though she insisted to herself he meant no offense. She still worried she might have led him on in some way. "'Please,' he said. "'I will be only a minute.' Jessie waited at the edge of the walkway that led from the church. "'Her Sunday-go-meeting low-heeled shoes hurt her feet. "'She wanted to be home, kicked them off. "'In minutes the Reverend approached her "'and pointed to a bench on the church lawn. "'Could we sit over there?' he asked. "'When they sat... "'Jesse blatantly kept a good distance between them. "'I haven't seen Carrie in church,' the Reverend said. "'Has she lost faith? "'She doesn't have a car. "'Butner is a long way without a car. "'Could you bring her to church sometime? "'Look, I don't run her life. "'She does what she wants.' "'Jesse started to stand, but the Reverend prevented her with his hand. "'It's her husband, Samel. "'He wants to convert.' Jessie shook her head in disbelief it can't be true he paid the fee the reverend said he asked me questions about commitment baptism where we go in the hereafter he bought a bible it's like a miracle you can't believe him he paid the fee you took the fee from him i never thought you'd charge him or anyone for joining the church i didn't know what to do he seemed so sincere I didn't want him to mistrust me. It was wrong, Jesse said. He'll mistrust you anyway when he finds out. The church never charges for admission. The reverend didn't look at her. I'll refund it when he gets started. That will be the right thing to do, he said. He thought for a few seconds. Maybe you could talk to Carrie, convince her to start coming to church with Zemel. Why don't you visit Carrie? Jesse said. "'You talk to her.' "'We could go together,' the Reverend said. "'Jesse laughed. "'I don't think so. "'Why not?' the Reverend asked. "'It should be a church call,' Jesse said.
2: "'The
0: Reverend squinted slightly. "'You two not getting along?' he asked. "'You go,' Jesse said. "'Make the church seem to want her.' "'The Reverend reached for her hand and she drew it away.' "'I could do that with you,' he said earnestly. "'It's not right, mixing God's business by taking me with you. "'You're her sister. "'It's not a date,' he said. "'Who can tell with you?' "'The pain of her remark showed on his face. "'That's unfair,' he said, with a touch of contrition. "'Jesse stood. "'Can I call you next week?' he asked. "'She hesitated. "'He was sincere.' Now she was convinced the motel incident was definitely a misguided mistake of a man inexperienced with women in
2: every way. "'I would prefer not,' she said. Chapter 24 Jessie
0: couldn't stop thinking about Zemel's new commitment to the church. She didn't believe he would follow through, and was suspicious that he had actually paid money to begin a conversion. She took a sick day off from the furniture store and went to see Carrie at home. Carrie sat outside the garage, her back against the garage door, her knees up, nursing Golshan. Jessie parked. As she approached, Carrie kept her head down and Jessie squatted to see her face. Carrie was crying. What's up? Jessie asked. Carrie finished nursing and buttoned her shirt, standing and placing Golshan on her shoulder. Look at me, Jesse said. Carrie's eyes were frightened. She seemed trapped in indecision, the way Jesse remembered seeing her in their youth. Carrie would not be able to take control of the next step in her life when she was this anxious. Carrie retreated into herself, frozen in thought, like a frightened rabbit in a bright headlight. Come with me, Jesse said. Shan," Carrie said. I can't. Bring her along, Jesse said. I'll leave her with Mother. Bring her. Carrie finally followed Jesse. They sat in the car. Golshan slept peacefully. I'm taking you home, Jesse said. Enough of this. I don't want that, Carrie said. What's wrong, Jesse asked. Carrie cried for a minute or more before she could find words. Mother's going back to Iran. I think she wants to take Golshan with her her sweet grandchild. She's told you this? No, she still speaks only a few words I can understand. Zamel told me. How do you know she's leaving? She has long talks with Zamel's cousin's wife next door. Mother takes Golshan with her. When I'm at work, Golshan stays there like family. What does Zamel say? He says his mother would never take Golshan away. And you believe him? I don't know. "'I don't think he sees what I see,' Carrie said. "'Do you think he wants Golshan to grow up in Iran?' Carrie hesitated. "'I I don't think so, Jesse.' "'Did you ask him?' Carrie didn't speak. "'Jesse started the car. "'I'm taking you away.' Carrie opened the door. "'No, I cannot leave Zemel.' She had her feet on the ground. Jesse cut off the motor. "'That's crazy. Get back in,' Jesse said.' Let me hold Golshan. Carrie handed Golshan to Jessie and settled again in the seat closing the door. Jessie felt the warmth of the child on her breast. She pressed her cheek against Golshan's head, felt the infinite softness of the black hair. Zemel's in trouble, Carrie. The authorities have contacted me again asking questions. Carrie sobbed. What do you really know about Zemel? Jesse asked. Carrie did not respond for a minute. He wouldn't do anything wrong. You don't believe that, Jesse said. He's not a bad person, Carrie said. I know that. Would you know if he's in deep trouble? Jesse asked. Carrie looked away as if threatened by the question. You can't let it hurt Coleshan, Jesse said. Carrie faced the truth. Her face hardened. Then she took Golshan from Jesse, she opened the car door, and walked back to the garage without looking back. Carrie loves Amel. It was obvious. Jesse would pray Carrie's loyalty and caring, and her unwavering decency
1: would not destroy her life and Golshan's. Chapter 25 Harold Lester approached
0: Jessie in the furniture store, in her uniform, standing near a canopy bed with her sign. For the first time she was relieved to see him. Have you heard from Samel? he asked. You were out to see your sister. I didn't discuss Samel, she said. Come on. Did she tell you he hasn't been home in more than a week and he hasn't been to his job in three days? Jesse didn't look at him. Something's going on, Jesse. We need to know what it is. He's joining the church, Jesse said. Really? He's taking classes to convert. Anything else? What else do you expect? Anything that would tell us where he is and what he's up to. My sister thinks he is not bad, Jesse said. That he would do nothing wrong. Harold laughed. And she'd be the last one to know, wouldn't she? He loves her, Jesse said. I'm sure of that. Do you think that's enough to divert wrongdoing? Harold asked. I don't know, Jesse said. I hope so. Harold looked serious. He was trained in Afghanistan, Jesse. Explosives, computers.
1: That's a lot of dedication. And it can't all be innocent. CHAPTER 26
0: Jessie awoke to a pounding on the front door, slipped on her slippers, and felt her way in her nightgown into the living room in the semi-darkness. "'Who is it?' "'I have a message,' a voice said. "'Who are you?' Jessie whispered. "'A friend of Zemel's.' The voice did not sound threatening. Still Jessie was afraid. "'Please open,' the voice said. "'It's urgent.' "'Tell me,' Jessie said.' I cannot speak it through the door. Jesse undid the bolt and chain. A small dark youth wearing a hoodie slipped in. It is Zamel. He must talk to you, he said. He cannot come here. You are being watched. I am to write instructions for you so that you will not be followed. Where are Carrie and Golshan? Jesse asked. His wife is with him, he said. His daughter, too? Jesse asked. I do not know. Jesse gave him a pencil and notepaper, sitting at the kitchen table. The youth detailed how to find Zemele and Carrie. Jesse dressed, went to her car, and drove four blocks away where she pulled into a side street, turned off the motor and lights and waited, searching for anyone who might be following. After fifteen minutes, only two cars passed. She started driving again. She followed directions for a circuitous route into Raleigh. She drove to a multi-story parking garage... She found a parking spot on the fourth level. She took the elevator to the fifth level and waited near the stair exit. In minutes, Zemel came to her emerging from the shadows. She followed him out of the garage onto a side street. He walked more than a quarter of a mile to an all-night diner. He mentioned for her to go down the alley at the side of the diner while he watched the street. Behind the diner, hidden by a dumpster, Carrie huddled near a tree cradling Goshan in her arms. Carrie cried when she saw Jesse. Jesse kissed Carrie and sat down beside, pulling the edge of a blanket back to see if Golshan was really there. Zamel joined them and squatted facing them, his body tense, his eyes still searching the darkness nervously. We are leaving, Zamel said. Carrie wanted to see you, to say goodbye. Where are you going? I cannot say. We will start a new life. In Iran? Jesse asked. Not Iran, Zamel said. To do more bad things, Jesse said. No, nothing bad. To make a good life. We don't want to be away from you, Jesse, Carrie said. This is true, Zamel said, but we must go. The authorities will follow, Jesse said. They know all about you. They are not the only ones we abandon now. Men I've worked with will not approve of our leaving. Who are they? Jesse asked. Ones who are more capable to find us than the authorities. Jesse looked at Carrie. Are you in danger? Carrie looked away and stood as Zamel rose. We've got to keep moving, Carrie said. To where? Jesse asked. I have a friend who can help, Zemel said. We will go there, and he will help us find somewhere safe. How? Do you have a car? Jesse asked. We will find a way, Zemel said. "'Where is it?' Jesse asked. "'It is many miles,' Zamel said. "'We can do it, Jesse,' Carrie said. "'I have money,' Zamel said, "'but we must avoid the public. "'They will be looking.' "'And you don't know how you will get there?' Jesse said. She could not take her eyes off Golshan. Neither Carrie nor Zamel spoke as they prepared to leave. Golshan slept peacefully, unaware of her parents' urgency and stress. Jessie loved them all three. Her heart ached. "'I will take you,' she said. "'Where do you need to go?' Carrie and Zemel stared at her with surprise. Neither had prepared to ask, and neither had ever expected her to offer. They'd come to say goodbye. Jessie took control. "'I'll get the car. Tell me where it's safe to pick you up.' Five hours later... Jessie said goodbye in a residential neighborhood in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. She did not know where they would go from there. She hugged Carrie and kissed Goshan. She turned to embrace Samel, but embarrassed he backed away. Jessie moved closer and took Samel in her arms. "'Take good care of them, Zamel. I love you all.' Samel embraced her and put his head on her chest, his head under her chin. "'We love you,' Carrie said." Zemel held Jessie's hand. "'I am forever grateful—don't,' Jessie said. "'But you've been—your family, Zemel.' She grasped his shoulders. No thank-yous were ever needed. And then they were gone. Jessie drove back to her apartment the same night and called in sick in the morning to rest at home. Harold Lester knocked on the door four hours before dawn. "'Where is he, Jessie? "'Something's about to go down. I need to know.' "'I don't know,' she said, keeping the door opening narrow so he would not come in. "'You got past us last night. We know you bought gas in Virginia with a credit card.' "'He's innocent,' Jesse said. "'That's not a judgment you can make,' Lester said. "'I can and I will.' "'Where did you take them?' Lester said." "'He's not evil,' Jesse said. "'He's husband to my sister and father of my only real niece. "'And you shouldn't have any hesitation about telling us where he is.' "'Jesse sighed. "'I don't know. "'And there's no way I can find out. "'I can't believe that,' Lester said. "'Believe what you want. "'I would never betray them, even if I knew.' "'That could be obstruction,'
2: Lester started but Jesse closed the door, sliding the deadbolt in place.
1: Chapter 27
0: Jesse was fired from the furniture store for lack of enthusiasm, and she took a secretarial job at the Reverend Coffey's church. A year and four months later they were married, and a few weeks after that the Reverend accepted a church position in Wilmington, North Carolina. "'Jesse had never heard or expected a word from Carrie and Zemel, "'but one morning, at a modest bungalow near the beach, Jessie walked to the mailbox before she left for work. "'She flipped through the mail to find a manila envelope "'with no return address that had been forwarded from Raleigh. "'The hand-printed writing was not familiar. "'The smudged postmark was unreadable.' Inside, she found a color photo of a four year old girl on her way up the walk to a century old house with a wraparound porch and a hanging sign that said, Betty Potter's pre kindergarten. The girl wore a white dress trimmed and laced that covered her dark legs to above the knee, white socks, and white Mary Janes. She carried a shiny black plastic book bag that looked empty. She was grinning at the camera, her brown eyes gleaming with excitement and confidence. A woman came down the walk from the house toward her, her arms out, welcoming. A sticky note on the picture said, "'First day. Love you.' "'Honey,' Jesse called to the back of the house. The Reverend Coffee emerged in a T-shirt and drawstring pajama bottoms, holding a diapered infant in his arms. "'Look,'
2: Jesse said, holding up the photo, her eyes moist. "'They're safe.'
0: The 34 short stories and 5 novels of William H. Coles are also available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, at Kindle & eBook, and online at storyinliteraryfiction.com for reading or download. This podcast is produced by storyandliteraryfiction.com, a website that provides learning resources for fiction writers, essays, a blog, newsletter, workshop, tutorial, and interviews with renowned authors, editors, and teachers on the art of creating story and literary fiction. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.